Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. The extraoral intraoral exam or oral cancer screening is a methodical inspection of the face, the skin, and the oral mucosa. It is performed in order to evaluate the soft tissues and check for lesions. Dental hygienists perform this exam as part of the assessment process in order to evaluate tissues and check for changes. Now, cancer, by definition, is described as an unrestricted and abnormal growth of cells that can be made and destroy surrounding normal body tissues. There's some compelling facts about oral cancer. Specifically, it has the lowest survival rate of any cancer. To me, that would be a good motivating factor to be proficient at performing a thorough extraoral and intraoral exam. There are some factors that should be considered in order to be effective in your oral cancer screening. Patient positioning, adequate lighting, and proper retraction to improve visibility are key action steps to conducting a comprehensive exam. This will allow for maximum visibility in some of the most difficult to see areas. I have an important tip for you. When you start your extraoral exam, you've washed your hands, you're going to put on two sets of gloves here. You put on two sets of gloves so that you can perform your extraoral exam and then remove a set of gloves so that when you go intraorally, you have a nice clean set of gloves on. This will save you time and provide your patient with the opportunity to know that when you're going intraorally, you have on clean gloves. 40% of patients survive a diagnosis of oral cancer after five years. The good news is that oral cancer is curable when it is detected early, and this is where you come in as the clinician. 70 to 80% survival rate happens when it has an early diagnosis. This is a huge motivator for us. Skin cancer is the most common of all cancers. Now keep in mind, there are two main types of skin cancers. There's melanomas and non-melanomas. Now melanomas are almost always curable when it's an early stage, but it can spread to other parts of the body. Melanomas make up about 60% of all skin cancer deaths. Non-melanomas are the most common cancers of the skin. They're usually site-specific and do not typically spread to other areas of the body. These are less likely to be fatal and can present themselves as basal cell or squamous cell cancers. It is important information when you're performing your extraoral examination. 95% of all oral cancers occur in patients over the age of 40 and the average age of diagnosis is about 60 years of age, and it does tend to occur more in men than in women. A soft tissue lesion 
is an area of the tissue that does not blend in with its environment. And they can present in a variety of ways. They can vary in color, form, and texture. A soft tissue lesion can arise from any number of scenarios and can be associated with an infection, allergic reaction, trauma, or injury. There are some lesions that present in the oral vestibule that are considered variants of normal. And although these are normal tissues, they should still be documented and monitored over time. Now, documentation follows the rules of ABCDT to help create a comprehensive description of a lesion. A is the anatomic location of the lesion. B is the border of the lesion. C is the color of the lesion. D is the diameter of the lesion. And T is the type of the lesion. In the clinical setting, the dental hygienist is charged with performing the comprehensive extraoral intraoral exam and reviewing risk factors associated with oral cancer that may be indicated as a result of doing the medical history. The risk factors associated with oral cancer are things like chronic or smokeless tobacco, and those contribute to about 80% of all oral cancers. Chronic alcoholics, patients with defective teeth, patients with poorly fitting dentures, or overexposure to sunlight. Less than 20% of patients survive five years when the tumor or lesion is greater than three centimeters. But nearly 80% of patients survive five years when the tumor is less than one and a half to two centimeters in size. Dental hygienists can significantly contribute to survival rates and be a valuable contributor to early detection. The, the message here is that you need to perform the oral cancer screening at every single dental appointment. Now, there are different types of palpation methods. When you do a bi-digital palpation, the tissue is held between the thumb and the fingers. And this is usually done, this technique is on the buccal mucosa, the lips, and the tongue. A bi-manual palpation uses both hands it uses the fingers and the thumb from each hand, and you press the tissue between the pads of the fingers on the left and right hands. And this is usually done on the floor of the mouth, the buccal mucosa, and the parotid gland. Bilateral palpation is done to compare sides for symmetry. This is usually done to examine the TMJ and the temporalis. Digital compression uses a single finger and it presses the tissue between the fingers and hard surfaces. This technique is usually used to examine the hard palate. Now it's important to have a sequence. This will make it easier for you to remember. It will increase your efficiency when you're performing the task and it will reduce the risk of you overlooking certain aspects of the exam your patient will truly appreciate your efforts. Now, there are six common sites for oral cancer. On the lips. Now, the lips, it's ranked anywhere from the most common to the least common, depending on the research that you read. 
and it can often appear as a small swelling. It is almost undetectable in the earliest stage, so you want to palpate the lips using the bi-digital technique. The tongue. It's the second most frequent form of oral cancer, and most tongue cancers occur on the lateral surfaces, and it's preceded by leukoplakia oftentimes. One caution is that posterior lesions grow faster than anterior lesions. You want to palpate this by digitally. The buccal mucosa, it most often occurs on the middle portion of the cheek, so you want to palpate this doing a bimanual palpation. The floor of the mouth, when oral cancer is located here, it can spread to the cervical lymph nodes. Those lesions on the floor of the mouth start as small nodules or ulcerations, and you want to palpate this using a bimanual technique. On the palate, the growths can perforate the palate and cause permanent dysfunction with the nasal and oral cavity. Digital compression is the technique used to evaluate this region of the mouth. And the gingiva, the final site, it invades the bone very early, and this is an imperative area to recognize. It's most frequent in the molar and premolar regions, and you need to perform digital compression to assess the gingiva areas. When you're evaluating the lymph nodes of the head and neck, you want to be very systematized about the way that you do it. Starting with the occipital lymph nodes in the back of the head at the base of the hairline, you want to use circular motion starting at the midline and your fingertips to compress the tissue against the base of the underlining bone. You want to be sure to palpate those lymph nodes all the way until you get to the sternocleidomastoid. The next will be the preauricular lymph nodes, which are located in the front of the ears. You're still standing behind the patient, and you're going to use steady, gentle, circular motions with your fingertips against the underlining bone. And you want to note if there's any enlargement of those lymph nodes. The submental nodes are located just under the jaw on either side of the midline of the mandible. And you're going to use your thumb and index finger to compress the area behind and beneath the mandible. And again, note any tenderness that your patient might have. The submandibular lymph nodes are under the jaw alongside of the mandible, and you're going to use both of your hands. Use your left hand as your stabilized hand to move the tissue under the chin towards the right side of the neck. Use your right hand for palpation. If you're left-handed, you will do the opposite. You will use your right hand to stabilize and use your left hand for palpation. You're going to examine the submandibular nodes on both sides of the jaw. You're going to evaluate the cervical lymph nodes that are medial to the sternocleidomastoid muscle. You're also going to check the cervical lymph nodes that are posterior to the sternocleidomastoid muscle. And you're going to do this on both right and left sides of the neck. You want to rotate your fingertips using your fingertips and your thumb and kind of palpate the whole length of that sternocleidomastoid muscle from the ear 
all the way to the clavicle where it attaches. And you're going to note any changes that you might feel along those chains. You're then going to palpate the supraclavicle lymph nodes. And you want to place your index and middle finger just above the clavicle on and apply circular compressions going from the clavicle outward and checking those chains. Evaluating the parotid gland takes your whole hand. You want to be sure that you've placed your hands right in front of the ears and extended over the masseter muscle. And check if there's any pain or tenderness related to salivary stones, some inflammation, or even cancer could exist here. You also want to check the submandibular glands. Now the submandibular glands sit just below the jaw towards the back of the mouth. And you're still standing behind the patient. And you want to locate those glands by placing your index finger near the angle of the, of the lower jaw and then moving forward to locate that slight depression uh, along that little notch. You'll feel those submandibular glands and you just want to palpate those to be sure that there's nothing unusual there. The thyroid gland is located between the thyroid cartilage and when there's an enlargement uh, or soft tissue mass or lack of movement, this has to be noted. So you'll have your patient swallow while you have your hands on the thyroid to feel if there's movement. And if there is a nodule on the thyroid, it'll be easier for you to palpate and discover if you have your patient swallow while you are palpating it. Taking a look at the temporalis and masseter muscles, bilaterally palpate those muscles and have the patient clench their teeth. You want to examine for tenderness or enlarged muscles or nodules that may be present. You always want to check the TMJ. Standing behind the patient and having your patient in a head upright position, you want to place your index fingers just in front of the ear in the location of the joint. Have your patient open as wide as they can and close their teeth together. You want to have them shift their jaw from left to right and protrude their jaw forward and back if they can. You want to note any clicking or popping or restrictions that you notice. And sometimes there may not be a straight alignment. Your patient may have an S-shaped open or closure as they move their jaw. And these are things that you want to note. You may find connection points between different aspects of the exam. Like if your patient has a scalloped edge to their tongue on the lateral borders, or if they have linea alba present. And then if you've checked the TMJ and they have a restricted opening, crepitus, or maybe an S-shaped opener closure, all of these link together to let you indicate that the patient is probably clenching or grinding their teeth. And those are all noted in the documentation process. During your sequence, when you are performing the intraoral examination, you want to first ask your patient if there's any sore or tender areas in their oral vestibule before you do your cursory exam. You want to examine the lips to see if they're chapped. Perhaps your patient indicated on their medical history that they're a mouth breather or they have sun damage. Maybe they have angular chelosis or candidiasis present. Perhaps there's blistering or a traumatic lesion, 
or some type of soft tissue enlargement. You want to then examine the labial and buccal mucosa areas, checking the vestibule, all frenums, alveolar mucosa, and if there's presence of scar tissue. You want to look for any traumatic lesions or maybe effects of smokeless tobacco. Maybe your patient is a lip or cheek biter. You want to check also for a variant of normal called Fordyce granules. You want to check the parotid gland and buccal mucosa tissues for any traumatic lesions or linea alba caused by clenching and grinding, lichen planus or leukoedema, some sloughing of the tissue, or perhaps stones that might be blocking a duct. You want to examine the gingival areas. Check the alveolar ridge of the attached gingiva. You might find a variant of normal called exostoses. Perhaps there's an ulcer or an abscess present that the patient is unaware of. There could perhaps be a fistula, or you may even see an amalgam tattoo. You want to check the maxillary tuberosity and on the mandibular arch, the retromolar pad. You want to see if there might be an operculum or a bony projection after a patient has an extraction, and palpating this area will help you. You want to look at the roof of the mouth and indicate if there's a tori or torus present. Perhaps there's nicotine stomatitis or cleft palate, tachea, ulcers, or candidiasis. You want to take a look at the oropharynx and see if there's any inflammation of the throat, tonsillitis, tonsil stones, postnasal drip, or perhaps a cleft lip or palate. You want to look at the tongue and check and see if it's fissured, if there's enlargements or inflammation, if there's geographic tongue, which is a variant of normal, or hairy tongue. You want to also look at the floor of the mouth and check for variscosities. Perhaps there's tori, a blocked salivary duct, or some level of enlargement. Possible oral cancers could be present Leukoplakia are white patches. The tissue responds to chronic irritation, creating these white patches, and this can develop anywhere in the oral cavity. The surface can present as either thick, thin, or leathery, and have fissures, ulcers, or induration. And about 5% of leukoplakias become carcinoma. Now, erythroplakia appears as a red velvet-like patch, and that ulceration may indicate a change in cancer. It is more severe than leukoplakia. You may notice ulcerations on your patient, and those indicate malignant change. Ulcers are open sores or lesions of mucous membrane. They can be flat or raised and can appear similar to an aphthous ulcer. There may be masses, which is an aggregation of cells which appear abnormally large. Now, cancers can appear as ulcerated papillary masses. It's important to keep in mind that when you are performing a head and neck oral cancer screening exam, it's not about what you see, but it's about what you document. And you may not always know the exact correlation or significance 
of something that you may find. Your scope of practice requires that you evaluate and document and then report your findings to the dentist when they perform the examination on the patient. Taking the time to look is the most important piece in the exam. When you first start performing your intraoral extraoral exam, it may feel very time consuming and a little overwhelming. As you get a system down, you will become very proficient at it and as a result will increase your speed. The advice I can give you is to be very dedicated to doing this for your patients. You never know what you're going to come across when you got out into private practice and you're working with patients. And unfortunately, we get behind schedule at times and sometimes we look for ways to catch up. Our jobs can sometimes make us feel like we're on a treadmill on high speed. But dedicate yourself to continuing this practice of always performing the head and neck exam. You just never know what you'll find. But in order to find something, you have to look. Thanks for listening today. Join me next time when we talk about oral health promotion. Oral health promotion is a process of increasing the knowledge and empowering individuals and communities to increase the control that they have over their own health. We're going to discuss some of the theories and models related to oral health promotion. You won't want to miss it. I hope you join me. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying! I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.